Hey there, creatures. Thank you so much for joining us for our first ever bonus episode. We know that this is a challenging time for many of you out there, and we'd like to try to ease the burden by giving you something educational and hopefully entertaining to take your minds off the insanity that is the world's current climate. Now, this episode was recorded and edited way back in November, so some of our topical references may not be so topical. So, if there are any, I feel confident in saying that I stand by them, but if you could give us a little bit of a break on that, we'd really appreciate it. Before we get into the episode, I'd like to give a huge thank you to Selena and Aaron for joining our warband on Patreon, and an extra special heartfelt thank you to Daniel and Connor, two amazing friends of mine who each requested this episode. And with that, I give you our first ever bonus episode, the terms of Dungeons and Dragons and what they mean. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to your bonus edition of Encounter This. I am here with Freeman Miriam Eistin, and I am your co-host, James Webster Kidd. <laughs> yeah, we're keeping that in. Oh, that was off the cuff, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I did not see that coming. So we're here to talk to you about terms, uh, a little, little bit of a bonus action. I'm going to try and prevent my mic from spiking here. Uh, so we're dropping you a little bit of a bonus episode in between weeks, just to clear up some unfamiliar terms for some of our listeners. We're going to go over the basics and mostly just the basics and some more in-depth stuff for maybe some of you more experienced listeners will learn something. Yeah, we uh, we we knew that when we were doing the show that it was going to have a pretty particular audience in mind, most mostly uh, those who are relatively experienced. That being said, we've received quite a bit of support, mostly from our personal friends and family, but they are unfamiliar with the game and they wanted a little bit more uh, detail behind some of the terms we use so they could better understand the show in general. Um, we figured why not uh, cover that just in case we do have uh, a number of newer players listening in as well. Yeah, I wanted to release this as a Patreon exclusive, but Freeman assured me that people aren't going to pay <laughs> to learn about D&D from us. So. Yeah, they're hardly paying right now anyway. Oh, so. God. <laughs> yeah. Thank you to our one Patreon donor. That's that's fantastic. And that is patreon.com slash encounter this. Also, our, it's James. Yeah, James I am our own Patreon donor. I was just uh, making sure this I system works. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure it's worth it. It's, it's, <laughs> trust me, it is not. Save your money, listeners. Uh, but let's get to the body of it. Freeman, do you want to tell me about action economy? Yes, I do. So action economy is a term that discusses what you are able to do when in combat. So when combat starts, you roll for what's called initiative and it determines the order in which everyone takes their actions. One round of combat covers everybody's actions, both uh, the players and the creatures you're facing, within a period of six seconds. So within those six seconds, every creature has a number of things they can do. And what those things are are determined by this action economy. The action economy, the action economy, is, the action economy is listed as such. A move action, a standard action, a bonus action a reaction, and a free action. We'll start with the move action. It's pretty straightforward. You basically move a specific distance that is determined usually by your racial abilities. Uh, a dwarf, for example, is a bit shorter in stature, so they can only run a total of 25 feet within that six-second period. Uh, whereas an elf would be, or a human, uh, usually average around 30. I think gnomes and halflings are 20 to 25 as well, somewhere in that mark. Basically, they're shorter. No, don't know. You no should. idea. I've never yeah. actually played one of the smaller <laughs> classes. Play, yeah. Dwarf is about as small as I get. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, basically, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, it, it's 
specified around the base the size of your class. Some some classes might actually race sorry, race, race not class yeah uh, specified around uh, which race you're choosing. Some might be taller in stature with uh, a longer stride that sort of thing. Though there are some classes that can affect this, such as a monk. Yes, sure enough. Uh, as a monk grows in power, they can increase that speed by 10 feet per turn. I think they can do that up to two or three times uh, if, if they add it on as, uh, as they grow in power. So, you know, if you have a halfling monk, they go from 25 to 35 at a certain level. Or if it's, say, a human, it'll be 30 to 40. Uh, there's also different types of movements uh, like fly, uh, burrow, and, and swim. So depending on whether or not you're in uh, the proper environment to allow for these things, you can use a specified uh, movement uh, distance if your class or race has it. For a standard action, I believe in the in the player's handbook, it doesn't even call it a standard action. I think it's a term that most players are, are used to saying. I think they just say it's an action. Yeah, it's a throwback term for sure. Yeah, so standard is usually thrown in front of it to help differentiate it a little bit more from the other actions but a standard action is the usual thing such as swinging your sword shooting your bow casting a spell some sort of ability using an object uh, they in theory are the most le uh, laborious i would say of the actions you can take a bonus action is something that's really really quick so you have if you have a spell that's is quick to fire off. It doesn't take a lot of effort. Then that would be considered a bonus action. And in that case, you would still be able to fire off uh, a, uh, a more powerful spell. Or is that that's not true? Is no. It? So no, when it comes to spells, uh, bonus action spells can only be cast as a bonus action if you use your standard action to cast a cantrip. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Or so, swing, swing a weapon. You cannot cast two spells per turn unless one of them's a reaction. A cantrip being something, a, a really minimal power spell that doesn't usually do too much damage or has some sort of utilitarian. Um, yeah, cantrips use. are, are your, your building blocks for, for a class. So mm -hmm. a wizard, all, all your spellcasting classes have cantrips and they are what's essentially bred into you. They're, they're your arithmetic, whereas spells are... I don't know, calculus, I guess. Sure. Somebody <laughs> call in and correct that metaphor. The lines are open. <laughs> For sure. Uh, that brings us to reaction. Uh, reaction does not usually take place on your own turn, but rather somewhere in the economy of the whole round of combat. Again, uh, you do that initiative order from start to finish. Every creature has a chance to, to do something. But sometimes if you have the proper ability or spell, you have a chance to react to a certain situation. In some cases, if a creature were to be in melee range of you and they were to step away from you, you get what's called an attack of opportunity. Now, you only get one of these per round. You get one of each of these per round of combat. Uh, in some cases, too, if a creature were to, say, swing at you, a spellcaster might have a spell like shield, where as a reaction, you could throw up a shield and decrease their chance of hitting you. And then we have things like free actions, which are up to open to interpretation and uh, usually governed by the DM themselves. There are things like talking to the enemy, uh, rolling a check to see if you understand or know what it is, or if you've encountered it before, if you can figure out what its weaknesses are or its strengths, if you're trying to intimidate it in, into submission, something along those lines. Those things don't cost anything, but you can't just do anything as much as you want and all you want the dm has to keep you in check to a degree but they do not technically cost you anything from there uh, that basically brings us to 
uh, we'll talk about armor class. AC is how we'll always refer to it. Uh, that is a pretty archaic throwback term as well, is it not? Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about the history of AC, but it's as far as I know, it's been around since first edition in AD&D, but I'm, I am well prepared to be corrected mm-hmm. on that. I'm not super versed in the mechanics. So AC, armor class, it's not a term that on it, if you just look at the words alone, they don't necessarily spell it out for you what it represents. But how I've always interpreted it is that it is the number that represents your ability to completely avoid damage or uh, at least mitigate it. So it could be determined by or it is increased by your armor or a shield or how dexterous your character is. Some sort of spell effect like the shield spell we just talked about. Mage armor is another example as well. Armor class is your ability to deflect with your own weapon, or in some cases you could imagine uh, if uh, a creature does not manage to meet or exceed your AC with their attack roll, then maybe it glanced off your pauldron, uh, or maybe they just straight missed you, you know, but maybe you just moved out of the way. But that number is built from several sources. It very depend very much depends on racial abilities, your class abilities, and it all culminates into one representative number of how good you are at avoiding incoming damage and then from there obviously we're talking about monsters we're talking about we talk about action economy and ac a lot but let's cover monster types because we fucked that up a lot already (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah we do uh so there are several different monster types and i'm just going to roll through these right quick uh so the first one in alphabetical order is the aberration that are completely alien beings with some innate magical abilities usually coming from their own mind. So psychic damage, all that kind of stuff. Some uh, prime examples are the Mind Flayer, the Beholder, and the Slatty. So those are hardcore D&D cuts for those of you out there who are um, new. But look up a Beholder. You've seen it before. Uh, oh, yeah. There's a creature in it that looks just like it in, in the first Doom. So mm-hmm. just Google Beholder and you'll, you'll see that. I, I might even throw a link to it in the show notes. Uh, the next one is beasts, which are a natural part of the fantastic ecology. They are more unintelligent, lack language. Uh, they're animals and giant animals, dinosaurs, pack animals, that kind of stuff. Anything mundane-esque. So giant scorpions to yeah. oxen. They have some degree of natural intelligence, but are not by any means yeah. intelligent. And there's no real magic to them. Yeah. Uh, they're celestials. They're native to the upper plains, and they're usually direct servants to deities. Things like angels, coattles, and pegasi, like anything you would consider, I hate this word, but traditionally holy, yeah, um, <laughs> would come from celestial, which... Which is where they're directly pulled from inspiration-wise. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The next are contracts. <laughs> they're what now? Constructicons. Constructicons, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> these form together to make a giant robot called Devastator. Um <laughs> Constructs are the next one. These are anything that is made and not born, like golems, animated armor, uh, flying carpets, that kind of stuff. These, these usually all... Monday objects, and they're fueled by magic to be animated, yeah, right? exactly. Uh, to have stats, essentially. Although I imagine in some settings they would allow for a certain amount of uh, clockwork uh, and less magic. But yeah. That would depend on the DM uh, at the same time. Well, and some some things exist like that in the, the monster manual. Sure. Um the the mordens are clockwork there's oh, a yeah. uh modrons 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 yeah modrons jesus christ <laughs> uh and there's there's actually a clockwork golem in one of the uh books w- one of the kobold press books <laughs> okay yeah um they they play into that a little bit heavier but there is a there's a plane of like tinkering that exists out there mm-hmm. so 
we're not going to go into the elemental planes. You guys are on your own for that. <laughs> Uh, the next one is dragons. They have their own subtype. Uh, I just wrote these am dragons and Trogdor joke. These am dragons. So I guess, I don't know, these burninate the countryside. <laughs> there there are two types of dragons. There are the chromatic dragons, which are traditionally evil. And then there are the metallic dragons, which are traditionally less evil. That's really all you need to know about dragons until you really want to get deep or start. They're well worth a read. That's And if we ever cover it, it'll be a big, big project. It'll be a six-month project. Yeah, it'll be a big one. It's, but they are pretty fascinating. There's a lot of rich history there. Yeah, And I mean, they are called, the game is called Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. So we'll, we'll get there. Um, elementals. So these are anything that are made from uh, the plane of elements. So fire, water, earth, and wind. Uh, traditionally creatures that are native to these planes. So like elemental masses, um, which are just called elementals in this game. Uh, they're like living mm. fire and uh, there's a water weird and genies are elementals and yeah, yeah. azers are fire elementals. These are, I think we're just getting deeper down the terms hole here. <laughs> uh, there's the fey, which are creatures tied from the Feywild, which is the natural plane of fairy. Uh, pixies, red caps, satyrs, that kind of thing. Elves are closely tied to the Feywild. Elves are closely tied to the Feywild. Um, the next one is fiends. So these are anything from the lower planes. Uh, and it, it actually has three subtypes, which is one of the only ones that has like real subtypes. And they're devils that come from the nine hells uh, and demons that come from the abyss. And the other one is shape changers. And these guys kind of come from everywhere, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Like doppelgangers and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, giants is the next one. They're human-like, sometimes with deformations. Deformations? Deformations. Deformations. Uh, usually super tall. Uh, giants, ogres, trolls, that kind of thing. They all fall under the giant subtype. Uh, and then they're humanoid, and that is anything that is essentially bipedal, two arms, two legs. It also has different subtypes, goblinoids, orcs, merfolks, humans, gnomes, elves, dwarfs, etc. Yeah, long list of subtypes in that one. Yeah. They're the, the things you'll encounter the most that are sort of intelligent and sentient and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and also, like, interact with encounter or even just play yeah there's a reason you can't pick humanoid as your favorite enemy as a ranger (laughs) Uh, monstrosities there are frightening creatures that are not ordinary and they're rarely benign centaurs mimics even a yeti falls under the monstrosities i've always loved the monstrosity idea i've always pictured it as i think we we talked about it in the yeti episode where they are um they are creatures that, for all intents and purposes, could be natural, but were twisted by magic in some yeah. way into something that's unnatural. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if it's like way, way back in the line, and then they, they right. kind of... and eventually... I, I, I think we covered it in Harpies, actually. Now yeah, that, that sounds right. Yeah. Right and incorrect. <laughs> uh, the next one no, is... This, <laughs> this episode is 100% truth. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> The next one is oozes. They're gelatinous creatures without a fixed shape. Uh, gelatinous cube, black ooze. They're it's a gooey, gelatin. Black pudding, flubber. yellow molds. Yeah. Yeah, these sorts of... I guess they are sentient. They must be. They're about as sentient as like... I don't know, like a, like a mushroom. Yeah, okay. Like sure. Feed, destroy, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, plants, so these are vegetable creatures, not ordinary fauna, like the tree ants or a shambling mound, which is something that's super cool, and we'll cover that later, or a corpse flower, also super cool. They're living trees and plants, essentially. And as you just said, fungi. Yeah. And uh, I believe there's a, they're like a humanoid, uh, humanoid plants, uh, mycenids that are pretty cool, too. Yeah, they're, they're the mushroom ones, and then there's the blights, which are the, the tree, the people, like, made of trees. Yeah. 
swarms, which are large contingents of small creatures that you fight as a whole. So bats, rats, bugs, that kind of junk. I hate these things. Swarms of spiders. Swarm of rock grubs. Look Swarm of rock grubs. Swarm of rock grubs. They're That'll terrible. Kill a character also covered those in treants. Uh, and then the last one is undead. So these were once living creatures brought back to the state of undeath via magic or curse or some other shit like zombies, vampires, ghosts, specters, gas. This is by far, yeah, you know, if whites, whites, the list yeah, goes on. they all fit in here. They're, it's it's probably my favorite subtype. Yeah, and they're probably the one that most people are from most familiar with, oddly enough. Yeah. For sure. Even more so than humanoid subtype, I would say. Yeah, and these uh, these all come in many different sizes. And size categories are determined based on how many squares they take up on a five-inch grid. The height of some of them is pretty flexible, but it's also pretty arbitrary. It seems kind of a remnant from past editions. So what I've included here is actually a remnant from uh, 2.5 because 3.5 because they don't seem to give the actual height of the creatures in 5e. They just give the, the how many squares they take up. Okay. So there's tiny, which is two and a half squares, and they're six inches to two feet tall. Small, which is a five foot square, and they're between two feet and four feet. Medium, which also takes up a five foot square, just four feet to eight feet. Large, which takes up a 10 foot square, which is eight feet to 16 feet tall. Huge is 15 foot square, 16 feet to 32 feet tall. And gargantuan, which I don't think exists in 5e. Uh, no, Tarask. Oh, is it Tarasque Gargantua? Yeah, and I think Purple Worm is too, actually. Oh, it might be. Uh, and they take up 20 feet squared, and they're 32 feet tall and beyond. So they, they can range as high as you want. But again, these are pretty arbitrary. Most Mostly the size seems to be for grid-based combat. Mm-hmm. And if you're not playing a tactical on the grid game, the size doesn't really matter. Yeah. The only, the only thing that's ever caught me up is realizing that a medium creature can be up to eight feet tall. Mm-hmm. Like you, sometimes you feel like that's gotta be a large and it, it would definitely depend on your, if you're playing a Goliath uh, race, for example, you know, and you want to be eight foot five, it would up, be up to your DM if you wanted to like really, uh, you know, if they would allow that, yeah. push, the, push that envelope, but still are they going to keep you as a medium creature? They're going to make you be large. What kind of pros and cons would that have? But that's uh, yeah, it's yeah. sort of thing. Like you, you always kind of assume that medium creatures, uh, you know, maybe up to seven feet, like t- taller than you know, the average human for sure, but like not really big. Like, I think Goliath actually max out at like seven and a half. Oh, do they? I, I feel like they go to eight. Yeah. But you, you might be right, but I mean, it, it can go either way. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be medium or large. So it, yeah. And I guess the other thing to, to note is that usually when a creature is large, they'll have what is reach. So normally as an, as a, a melee attack, if your creature is a medium, they can only hit five feet in front of them unless they have a specialized weapon. Usually creatures that are large, huge, gargantuan, they can hit up to five feet more. So a large creature can hit up to 10 feet away. A huge creature can hit up to 15 feet away. A uh, gargantuan creature. I have no idea because I've never played one, but I would assume it can hit up to, it, it probably only has reach, which is 10 feet above its reach. Right. But. Yeah, you kind of have to assume it's a 
probably a bit of a slower moving creature to begin with. So yeah. it's 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 if it were to reach out too far, it would be so easy to see that coming. That would be easier to dodge. So would, they probably you know in the math limit it to uh, ten or fifteen. Yeah, and this is just representative of their larger limbs. Yeah. And in some cases, I think uh, if you do actually find yourself playing a tiny creature, I don't think there's any tiny quote unquote races in five e. But say in Pathfinder, sometimes you are obligated to share the square with your opponent. Yeah, you have to if you're a tiny you don't have creature. Any reach at all. Yeah. Uh, that's actually the case of with swarms as well. Yeah, they have to, yeah, share, have to the show the space. Yeah, uh, and there are a couple of different senses that we've touched upon that creatures tend to have. Uh, they usually have a range attached to each one of these senses, and the four of them are blind sight, which uh, either the creature is either blind or effectively blind, so that they don't have to rely on sight at all. Uh, dark vision, which is one that's probably going to come up the most which means they can see in black and white and shades of gray in dim light as if it were bright light. So they can't actually see in darkness. That would be blind sight. Hmm. Tremor sense, which means they can detect vibrations in the ground, kind of like Toph from Avatar. The real Avatar. Don't fucking at me about that James Cameron bullshit. <laughs> uh, true sight, uh, which they can see magical or non-magical darkness. They can see through invisibility automatically detect illusions and see the original form of a shape changer and directly onto the ethereal plane. This shit is bananas. <laughs> I had never read True Sight before researching yeah, this episode. pretty gnarly. Um, the only thing that I mentioned on, on top of that too, I think is it, sometimes we, you will uh, come across superior dark vision as a specified thing. And all that means, dark vision is usually up to a range of 60 feet where superior dark vision is uh, up to 120 feet. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, no changes to the mechanics. And it still only exists in dim light. Mm -hmm. Superior dark vision can't penetrate dark. No. Which is fine. I think that's why they changed it to dim light vision in Pathfinder, but yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Uh, and the... So this is one that I've been struggling with. Um, there's something that we talk about in every episode, and it's the CR. The CR stands for challenge rating. So this is a metric designed by the designers of Dungeons & Dragons which indicates what level of a party of four players uh, can handle. So a party of four players at fourth level can handle a CR4 creature. It is a really, really straightforward metric. The problem with this metric is they don't take into account tactics, intelligence, stupidity, or anything like that. Style of play. Style of play, yeah. They really only take into account the monster's abilities. And I, I really struggle with CR personally. When I say struggle, I mean, I, I just straight up don't use it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's a really good guideline for new DMs. I, I've been running a game for almost three years now, and I've pretty much scrapped it from my game. But for the first year and a half, for the first campaign, I was really, really diligent about CR. But as soon as I threw a fifth player into my game, it kind of all went out the window. Mm -hmm. There are some better charts in, uh, I think they're in Xanathar's um, for establishing different encounters with different uh, levels of players and different right. different levels of uh, creatures. But honestly, I just, I, I endorse it as a learning tool, but once you learn it, just, just let it go. Otherwise yeah. you will never really. Don't lean on it too hard. Yeah. Uh, when you read the dungeon master's guide, it's, it's actually, it's got so much more uh, surrounding the CR in there. Recommendations of like whether or not to increase or decrease, say even just the hit points or the AC. Um, it kind of helps you build your own CR in a certain way. 
um, which I thought was pretty cool. I, I, it's been a while. Actually, now that I think about it, I would really like to go back and reread a lot of that. It's not the most flavorful and interesting read by any stretch of the imagination. No, I actually read, I, I read all of those pages for this. Yeah. Um, oh, did you? Yeah. And, but it's, but it's such a useful tool at the end of the day, if you yeah. could really lock a lot of those concepts in, in the back of your head, but not stick to them as a, as an absolute rule, then you'll, you'll find it a easier to, to yeah, navigate. Your, absolutely. Your and once you figure out how CRs really measured and more importantly, how your players play, that I think that's the biggest one is figuring out what what their traditional tactics tend to be, and then you know throwing a CR four creature at a level four party is is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to spice it up, they are going to handle a CR four creature unless something goes terribly wrong. So Matt Coville does a video on a death spiral, and I recommend you all check that out. But just so you have that in the back of your mind while you're running encounters mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're going to start running higher cr encounters for players so if you want to throw a cr6 my party of level six five level six players easily took down a cr11 creature two weeks ago we were we were level seven i don't think you were yet yeah we, we leveled up the, the okay the session before so yeah. they were they were level seven and they easily well Still. not not easily took down a cr11 creature mm -hmm. but they did they they yeah. took down a cr11 creature there were no oh were you talking about the use yeah. Oh, that was level six. Sorry. Yeah. So that was level six, um, and there were no casualties. So that that's the important part to stick by is there. There's not always. It's a guideline, just like everything else in the Dungeon Master's Guide and the Player's Handbook. It's it's a guideline, and I think that's all I should really say on this. If you guys want to hear an episode about CR and monster building and monster creation, then by all means write in and let us know about that. But from there, uh, Freeman, you wanted to talk about the base stats? Yeah, so uh, stats and their modifiers, their base numbers can get a little muddled and confusing. If you're building your character for, for the first time, you can very quickly get lost. The, it's kind of another armor class situation where the system's a little bit of a throwback. It's a little bit archaic. Um, I think it works pretty well, keeping everything within a 1 to 20 range uh, for 5e. Um, but they have, there's a couple terms that can be a bit confusing. So to start, the difference between ability and skill was something of a hurdle for myself at first. Ability or ability score uh, are the numbers representing your strength, your dexterity, your constitution, your intelligence, your wisdom, and your charisma. There are six of them. Your skills are other representations of these numbers and stats of these abilities. So abilities and skills are quite different. However, skills do count as ability checks. Whenever you read something in the in the DMG or the PHP that says DMG stands for Dungeon Master's Guide, PHP stands for Player's Handbook. <laughs> um, that that says a you know advantage or disadvantage on ability score checks, that includes attack rolls and your skill checks. Correct. As far as we understand it. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would agree wholeheartedly. If so Mike Mills wants to write an incorrect <laughs> he's more than welcome to, but I don't want to hear from the rest of you. Too bad it's homebrew now. Um, <laughs> with, so the first uh, and easiest example to give is strength. Strength is your uh, bodily power and athletic training, as as we have written, as James has so eloquently put. Uh, no, these are straight out of the PHP. Oh, are they? Yeah, Perfect. these are the definitions right out of the PHP. Well, I was trying to give you credit, but I take it back. Uh, so strength. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <Mills. laughs> obviously, your ability to heft something, lift, push, pull, 
uh, swing a weapon uh, uh, with a, a reasonable amount of power, um, that is all represented in your strength. So strength as an ability is represented in the athletics skill. So athletics governs things like climbing and like swimming. Uh, yeah, who'd have thunk, right? Uh, but the reason skill, uh, the skill athletics is separate from strength is that you can train harder at athletics than just general strength. So you can become a little bit better, which is where you're. And how is that reflected? What's that? Starts with P and runs with yeah. proficiency. <laughs> That's where your your class has a proficiency bonus that can be that can be thrown in if you if you train and become proficient in say something like athletics. Yeah. So that's the main difference between skills and and ability scores. Mm-hmm. You're you're if you're trained in something, you get to add um, a, a, an adjustable proficiency bonus, which changes as you level, which I think is constant for all classes. It's consistent across the board. Every class's proficiency bonus increases at the same time. Okay, so it, go, it starts at two and it goes up to eight. I believe so. Oh God, we're gonna we're gonna hear about that. <laughs> I uh, I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you, listeners. I have never played a character in D and D five e further than third level. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fix that soon. We'll fix yep. it soon. <laughs> uh, so I have no fucking idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, He's always DMing. Yeah. yeah. So e- each, like Freeman said, each stat has has a set of skills that are mm-hmm. uh, attached to it. Strength is. Athletics, athletics. It's actually, yeah, exclusively. Athletics is, is the only one that strength governs. The rest of them have more options. Dexterity, obviously, governing things like agility, reflexes, balance, and that's reflected in acrobatics. Your ability to jump, I believe, maybe run along a wall if you want. Now, if it's if it's a standing jump, I know you're thinking it's strength, uh, but I, I, yeah, I could be wrong on. That. No, no, I, I think I, I agree with you completely. I'm just I'm going over my head like what I would call an acrobatics check for right. it. and I don't know if a jump would be I mean maybe may more appropriately a flip or a dive through a window yeah, or, or a tumble like that. or a tumble, something yeah, like that for sure. yeah or your ability to land mm-hmm. um, coming off a roof like like when I think uh, acrobatics I think parkour right when I think athletics I think track and field yeah okay sure definitely yeah yeah it's uh it's sort of your nimbleness at the end of the day yeah uh, and your your smooth grace um if you were to uh another skill govern is sleight of hand your ability to quickly hide something say on your person or or pickpocket someone else uh your stealth your ability to, ability to nimbly move through an area that might make a lot of noise but you are light on your feet that is all due to your agility and your reflexes and say your balance and then of course we come the constitution which is not represented by any skills whatsoever uh, but it is your health, it is your stamina, your vitality. It's your ability to resist things like poison and disease. Your ability to resist death in general. It literally affects how many health points or hit points, HP, that you have uh, with your character. Um, so it governs a lot of those those aspects. Very, very uh, important. The one ability that's important literally to every creature and character in the game. Yeah, I like to think of constitution as, as your will to live in a metric. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, like how much will do you have yeah, to live? Yeah, and, uh, but, I, and also, but I also for sure it's like, you know, you're just your biological tick. Like how resistant is your body going to be today? Yeah. And like things, uh, races like dwarves have, you know, a very strong constitution and uh, in a lore sense. So they, I believe they have an automatic uh, bonus or, or advantage to yeah. poison saving throws and damage yeah. and, and being poisoned. Yeah. I think it's dwarves and half orcs that get that boost mm. bump yeah. to con. And then we look at intelligence, uh, mental acuity, uh, accuracy of uh, recall and rationale. Um, 
I always imagined intelligence and intelligence and wisdom were ones that I struggled with to separate very much. And I imagine intelligence very much that it's your ability to recall and uh, information you once knew uh, or memorize something that's in front of you. It is really about the capacity that your brain has to hold information. Whereas wisdom, it, to me, was all about uh, instinct and intuition, sort of uh, following your gut. Now, intelligence covers things like, uh, I think there's four of them. There's arcana, history, uh, history. nature. I think medicine. And No, it's not. Med- I, always, I always forget the fourth one. Damn it. Arcana, history, nature, and religion. Yeah, that sounds right. Like anything you can learn out of a book, essentially. Yeah. And so it's your, it's your, uh, these skills are the, the uh, representative of your study of these certain topics. And investigation. And investigation. Yes. Uh, good point. Uh, it's investigation is your ability to basically find clues, uh, deduce your surroundings into uh, more information. Yeah. And then, of course, covering the wisdom-based ones, those instinctual ones, we have things like medicine, perception, survival, Animal handling. Survival is your ability to sort of track uh, in certain environments, say, trying to find evidence or you, you know where to look for evidence of something having passed through. Um, footprints and foraging. Exactly. Footprints, foraging, like looking for food. Is sometimes it's a mechanic that uh, certain DMs will want to employ in their games. Perception is, is, the, uh, is, again, instinctual. It's using your various senses, your sight, your hearing, your smell, uh, even your olfactory to uh, notice anything within your certain surroundings. Yeah, taking the world around you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I think of perception as macro, mm-hmm. whereas I think of investigation is micro sure yeah definitely yeah investigation is a hand-on or hands-on perception is a little more like standing back and taking it all in as a big picture uh insight is sort of like sensing the motives of of someone or something uh animal handling was one that i always thought was so strange for so long to be its own skill um but i was at first i remember thinking it should have been sort of in the survival uh but i i like it's like it's your ability to sort of uh, soothe the creature that might be afraid of you, might be hostile towards you. Or in my, in my case, especially right now playing Captain Kickshaw, a mount that could be startled by, say, a fireball going off. And do I can I keep that mount in check? Can I keep it soothed and ready to continue in battle? Or will it panic? I think out of all the skills, animal handling is the one that I wish you guys used more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always kind of have something ready in case somebody does animal friendship. I think or it's animal really handling, underrated. Yeah. But it just, it never happens. Mm. And I think I've only used it once in Pathfinder yeah. uh, to try and soothe some dogs because okay my bird loves dogs <laughs> sure why not i'll keep that in mind for our next session uh, uh, and then we have charisma so charisma is your ability to effectively interact with others um whether uh, through charm confidence eloquence uh intimidation and even deception and so we literally have intimidation persuasion and deception as skills that are governed by this one as well as performance um, which i think is also another underrated one it's you can showboat you can um 
put on a display of some kind. It could be impressive in all sorts of ways. I would imagine a performance could even be tied in to things like sleight of hand with multiple checks to really, really impress people. And of course, it's very closely tied to the bard class particularly. Yeah. I actually, what that situation you just described happened exactly in our last session. Mm-hmm. There, you, I had you and uh, and Jess roll a performance check in That's order right. to get Becky, give Becky advantage on her sleight of hand. That's right. Yeah, 100%. We were trying to distract, I think, to a degree. We were trying to... Um, she was trying to hide her her weapon um, and we were just sort of making fools of ourselves to uh, pull the eye of this guard aside. Yeah. And so that was a performance for us to really like convince him that we were kind of bumbling fools. We were acting fools. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think you're right. I think performance is an underrated skill because it like animal handling, it seems really tied into a specific class. But mm. I think my my biggest piece of advice when it comes to things like performance and animal handling is that um, it's, I think it's tough for the DM to constantly ask you to do those things because there's already so much in your plate. I think players should challenge the DM with these ones and be like, can I roll a performance check to do this? And the DM can be like, sure, why not? Or be like, I'm not sure it fits there, but at least you've opened the gate and had the conversation started with those skills. And yeah. Just trying to play with them. They are a bit vague in their own way. So that's why it's often hard to use them, but I think they're underrated for that reason as yeah. well. As a DM, I actually prefer it when you guys prompt checks. Mm. Like there are some checks that I will not prompt you guys to do, such right. as a stealth check or an investigation. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to give you the benefit of the doubt with stuff like perception, yep. but I'm very rarely going to be upset if you're like, oh, can I do a performance check? Or, yeah. I, I love skill checks. I yeah. think they're a great part of the game. When it comes to like unlocking a chest, for example, be like, I want to uh, check, uh, try that chest. Out. You're like, it's locked, right? Yeah, you, you want to try and crack it? Then yeah. And then like, it's already understood. You're going up, you're about to roll a yeah. check. You don't really need to have the player trigger that every time. Um, but you're right. Like if, if someone walks into a room and they just, they, they don't say, I'm going to roll an investigation check, then those hidden treasures are just are sitting behind that DM screen and probably not going to be found because the, the player did not initiate. Yeah, and that happens to you guys all the time. Oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. That being said, there's always room for role-playing. If you don't think your character would, wouldn't uh, investigate, then he wouldn't. Yeah, and I'm I'm a big proponent of that, as Freeman well knows. My my character in Pathfinder is a complete asshole. <laughs> sure I might do a bonus, bonus episode on just how I role-play back or, or <laughs> lack great. thereof, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, but tell me about modifiers. What am modifiers? Uh, so modifiers are kind of tied into that old system. Um, you have an ability score, and that score gives you a modifier. Um, I believe it's if your score is 10 to 11, the modifier is 0. If it's 8 to 9, it is minus 1. If it is 12 to 13, it is plus 1, and so on and so forth. Uh, it does technically go above 20, even though your score... Uh, in a natural sense, cannot increase above 20. It has to be through magical means. Your base score. Your base score, correct, yeah. Okay. Um, So what do you do with these modifiers? So the modifiers are what affect your skills. So if you have a constitution, wrong one, if you have a strength of 14, then you have a plus one to your strength. You have a plus one modifier. That is now thrown into your athletic skill. So your athletics, anytime you try to climb something, you have a plus one to add to it. Okay. If you trained in it as a class, you add your proficiency bonus. So I say at level one, that's a plus two. Your athletics is now a plus three. Okay. So, so that, that plus one represents my natural ability to athleticize. 
Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I imagine the score is a number to sort of com- compare you to the other average creatures. And then the modifier, the plus or the minus, is your ability or inability to perform uh, based on that ability. <laughs> Yeah, see, it's a bit, it's a bit muddled. It's a bit muddled. I recommend just building a couple of characters to really, like, you know, get it through your head. To be honest, yeah. um, again, it's a bit of an archaic system. It's kind of old. It's a throwback. It's something that just hasn't changed for a long time. And do you do you know the quick way to find out what your modifier is? Uh, no. Uh, subtract ten from the base stat and divide by two and round down. <laughs> That's the quick way, is it? <laughs> so if you've got a base strength of fourteen, <laughs> you divide by ten. Or you subtract 10, so you've got 4, and you divide by 2, which is 2. Oh, okay. So your right. base stat yeah. with a 14 strike is actually <laughs> 2 instead of 1. As a teenager, I got my first digital watch, and I was like, oh, it's got military time on it. 24 hours, sweet. I'm like, but I remember specifically teaching myself. It was just like... Just subtract 12. Just subtract 12. Yeah. Subtract 12 every time. And I, was tell, I remember telling people, like, oh, you just... Like, how do you know? I was just like, oh, it's 13. Just subtract 12. And they're like, why would I subtract 12 from anything to tell the time? I was like... Just lazy. Well, that's 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 because you're playing to people who I like to call are wrong. <laughs> Twenty four hour clock is the superior clock. It is the superior clock. Don't at me. <laughs> uh, in any case, uh, that's abilities. That's modifiers. Uh, sorry, it wasn't so clear and concise as probably most of the previous stuff. No, you want a clear and concise definition of stats and modifiers. Oof. Just pick up the phone and call in. The lines are still open. Yeah, definitely. Uh, don't don't. <laughs> Some of you actually out there actually have my phone number. Don't just at me on Twitter, and we'll yeah, we'll yeah. go over it together. We'll shoot an email. I'll get back to you. Yeah, we'll <laughs> yeah. He says he's gonna check the email. <laughs> oh, speaking of that sweet burn, let's talk about some damage types. Damage types. So there are a bunch. Um, there are your basic damage types, which are bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing, and then there are your elemental damage mm-hmm. types. Sure. Which are acid, cold, fire, force, lightning, necrotic, poison, psychic, radiant, and thunder. Those are, if they're not, the only two there that aren't self-explanatory, I think, are force, which is essentially like getting hit with the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, but the magical wind. Magical wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just, force is a, is a type used to overcome universal DR. There is nothing but the shield spell that can block force damage. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's very little that actually does force damage. I think magic missile is, is the, the mainstay layover, but the two in there that are, well, three that I think really need definition are the lightning and the thunder. Mm -hmm. So thunder is sonic damage. Let's, that's it. Lightning is electrical. Kind of poorly, poorly named to a degree. Yeah. It kind of makes sense for like, I guess the setting that this, these games usually take place in, you know, they would probably call it thunder. Uh, in that yeah. way, rather than the word Sonic, I would think. But, Sonic but, feels pretty sci-fi. And yeah. I don't actually know where that word comes from. So, But Sonic is definitely a good way of putting it. Yeah, and uh, Radiant is the other one that I think uh, is a little bit of confusion. And Radiant is uh, uh, celestial. It's 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 holy. It's divine. It's... Mm-hmm. it's yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Um, it's sort of the opposite of necrotic, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Just necrotic is death magic. and yeah. yeah, necrotic is death magic. Radiant is life magic, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and I think I mentioned DR in there, which brings us to DR, which is short for damage resistance. If a creature has resistance, it means the damage to it is halved. So if you do 1d6 cold damage and you roll a 4, 
you do four cold damage to the creature, it's only going to take two if it has uh, DR cold. Uh, vulnerability is the opposite of resistance, so it doubles the damage. So in this case, it would take eight cold damage. They usually play against type, um, but it's kind of hard to pierce out. These are the things that you can get with a knowledge check um, mid-combat. So there's usually, like, skeletons are resistant to piercing because it's really fucking hard to pierce a bone, but it's really easy to bludgeon one, so they're vulnerable to bludgeoning. I don't actually know if they're vulnerable. I actually bludgeoning. don't think they are. Uh, yeah. Oddly enough, uh, I think classically uh, playing a lot of RPGs and stuff uh, growing up, uh, that uh, that is a, tr- a pretty traditional thing in a lot of video games at least. Yeah. Uh, but I think in 5e it's not the case. I think they do have the resistance, but they do not have the vulnerability. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I don't think it's a vulnerability. I think they have resistance to slashing and piercing, mm-hmm. but they just do not have a vulnerability to bludgeoning. Yeah. So, so all bludgeoning damage will go through, but it will not double, whereas piercing and slashing will half yeah to be fair i think across fifth edition vulnerabilities are extremely rare they seem very very rare and probably justified by the fact that it's doubled not like an additional 50 percent work just like resistance is like half like doubled is a lot more than the opposite yeah Um, 100 versus 50 exactly so i think that's probably why um, I think there are a few cases I honestly couldn't name one, though. I would imagine it's mostly to do with an elemental of some kind. I don't even know if we've touched on it. I think yetis might be vulnerable to fire. but Yeah, I think you're right on that. Actually, I, I think they, they have a certain uh, – We I think we went over it because they had, they had, we assume they have a bit of a fear because they live in such a cold yeah. environment. Oh, they do actually have a fear of fire. Yeah. So if you, if you use fire on them, they have disadvantage. That's it. On their yeah. next turn, but I don't remember if they're vulnerable. Yeah. Um, if you've listened to any of our episodes, because clearly we haven't, feel free to tweet at us <laughs> at EncounterPod on Twitter. What's EncounterPod? I've never heard of it. Um, <sighs> <laughs> and it's worth noting as well that uh, some of the, the, the piercing, bludgeoning, and slashing are physical types of damage specifically. And they are the only ones that, only ones that are not um, magical. Now... But they, someone with resistance to these can be bypassed through magical weapons. It's maybe worth touching on just a little bit. Like a plus one short sword, for oh. example, is might still be doing piercing damage, but it is considered magical for the purposes of, of bypassing resistances. Is usually yeah. how it's worded in the books. And that plus one is you essentially add one to your damage and your attack roll. Correct. And then it will go through any resistance to piercing specifically. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a little bit more advanced, I think, but mm-hmm. worth worth touching on for sure. And we just we also have uh, we don't have it written here, but it just reminded me of well, since we talk about creatures a lot, we might have damage resistances, we might have damage vulnerabilities, we certainly will have damage immunities, but we also have condition immunities, things that like govern like a big creature with four legs might be immune to being knocked down. I think an Etten uh, might have had that one actually, um, or Et- sometimes they Etten's have don't have four legs, but. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe. Uh, yeah. And in some cases, they have uh, uh, condition, not resistances, but they'll have advantage to certain ones. They definitely had one against, say, being blinded because it has two heads. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes so- a condition involves like being put to sleep magically, which is, uh, I think, impossible or that they, uh, elves have advantage on. Yeah. So conditions govern those sorts of things. Charmed, blinded, deafened. I've, I've got my cards right here if you want me to roll through them sure. real quick. Uh, paralyzed. You want to define that one? Uh, paralyzed. Oh, that's a good one because what's the difference between paralyzed and stunned? Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're incapacitated, can't move or speak, automatically fail strength or dex saving throws. Attacks against it have advantage, 
attack that hits the creature is critical if the creature is within five feet. So paralyzes is like you are straight up incapacitated. There's nothing you can do. Literally nothing you can do except think probably if yeah. you're conscious. Whereas stunned, I think it's just you maybe you've taken a, a big blow and you've had a moment to like where you need to regain your senses. Uh, the difference is they can only speak falteringly and the attack is not a critical if they're in melee. Okay. So uh, one's just a, a more severe version of the other. Yeah, paralyzed more severe. Yeah. Uh, poisoned creature has advantage on attack rolls and ability checks. Disadvantage, sorry. Uh, charmed creature can't attack the charmer or target the charmer with harmful abilities or magical effect. Charmer has advantage on ability checks to interact with the creature socially. Deafened can't hear, fails any required hearing checks. Stunned we went over. Unconscious is exactly that. Um... <laughs> Auto fail strength and dex saves, attack rolls against, uh, have advantage, melee attacks are auto crits, creature drops, whatever it's holding and falls prone, can't move or speak on a river surroundings. Sometimes I wonder, uh, they have to specify all these things like strength and dex, like you're unconscious, you would think that's obvious, but you just know somewhere along the line, some player was like, well, uh, maybe I'm having a bad dream and I'm rolling around and in my dexterity it takes part of that. You're like, nah, dude, like, Shit's we, gotta, not we Shit's literally not have to write this into the rules now because you're ruining it for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, frightened, a creature has disadvantage on ability checks and attack rolls while the source of fear is within live line of sight and can't willingly move closer. Invisible, impossible to see without magic or a special sense. True sight. Uh, attack rolls against it have disadvantage, and the creature's attack roll have advantage. Prone, your movement is to crawl. You have disadvantage on attack rolls. Attack rolls. These are worded real badly. <laughs> um, melee attack rolls have advantage. Uh, ranged attack rolls have disadvantage. Restrained, creature speed is zero. Uh, attack rolls have advantage. Attacks have disadvantage. Disadvantage on deck saves. Grappled speed is zero. Yeah, grappled's a weird one. Yeah, incapacitated, can't take actions or reactions. Blinded. <laughs> Sorry. I got these I got these spell cards from somewhere and I don't remember where I got them, but the blinded one's real good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like goblin covering your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Blinded creature can't see and automatically fails any uh, checks that require the line of sight. Attack rolls against the creature have advantage and creature's attack rolls have disadvantage. You can notice a pattern here. Uh, petrified creature is transformed into a solid inanimate substance, usually stone. Can't take actions, unaware of your surroundings. Attacks have advantage. Uh, automatically fail strength and dex saves. Resistant to all damage, which is pretty cool. Uh, and fatigued, level one of exhaustion, which is disadvantage on ability checks. And yeah. Uh, which uh, make, makes me realize we should cover one. Uh, we, I'm going to say one last and final thing is what advantage means, because we use that one a lot and disadvantage. And essentially means that anytime you roll, anytime you roll a 20 sided die, which is most of the time, it's for your ability to hit with your weapon, usually with a, a, a damaging spell. Uh, if you're trying to break a grapple, if you're trying to do any of these skill checks um, or an ability check, you roll a d20. If you have advantage, sometimes you gain it uh, from an ability or it's granted to you for clever play from the DM. Optional uh, flanking rules. Yeah, yeah, optional flanking rules. When you roll the d20, you get to roll it twice and choose the higher number. That's advantage. Disadvantage is exactly the opposite of that. You roll it twice and you have to pick the lower number. 
Uh, so it's a it's a literally doubling your chance to succeed or fail. Yeah, it's it's mathematically it is super powerful. Mm-hmm. Very um, much so. Uh, so that that is a term we'll use a lot, uh, advantage and disadvantage, and that's that's worth knowing that that's what that represents. Yeah, and there's also, um, I think the last two we'll do is critical hit and critical fail. Sure. Um, I don't have them written here, but keep saying it. If uh, so, a critical hit is you when you, a, a critical hit is. I don't know if there's a crit range in five e. I don't think so. Um, so you would roll a natural twenty on the dice, and what that means is is uh, double damage. Mm-hmm. It's just to reward you for rolling the highest number you possibly can. And the opposite is true uh, if you roll a natural one. So when you're rolling that dice, if it just lands on 20, regardless of adding any bonuses to see if you hit and that sort of thing, it's an automatic success and you get to do double your damage. And then the opposite is if it lands on a natural one, it just hits that one. First you scrap all adding, or scrap adding any of your bonuses, your modifiers, and it's an automatic fail and... Usually determined up uh, by the DM what has gone south. Yeah, that's where we get to have a little bit of fun. Yeah, some uh, of the more obvious ones would be like if you shot your bow uh, and you roll a natural one, maybe that arrow struck one of your allies, for example. Yeah, or maybe your bowstring breaks and you can't use that again in combat. Exactly, you got to wait till uh, combat's over to, to repair it. Yeah, there there are many third party like critical hits and critical fumble decks. Yeah, there's loads of them. Some of them are really really cool and flavorful. Some of them are real bad. Some of them are really really bad. <laughs> Uh, so other other words for a natural one that we might say are critical fail, critical one, uh, critical fumble, natural fumble, natural one. I don't think I have any others. Uh, a Joe. A Joe. A Joe O'Brien. <laughs> Joe O'Brien. Joe's going to roll. Uh, and for a critical hit is a natural 20, a nat 20, a critical 20, a critical hit, a critical success, a complete success? Never no. heard that one. <laughs> you made that up. Yeah, I definitely made that one up. Um, there's no such thing as as definites in a game of chance. That's yeah. Well, yeah. that's okay. This bonus episode ended up being over an hour, so that's that's <laughs> pretty good bang for we your were buck. Like, uh, oh, we'll make it like twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really gonna edit this either, so it's gonna be real rough and real rough. Have fun. Uh, this is big shout out to a friend of ours, Connor Barkwell, for recommending we do this terms episode, and uh, David Dawson, my brother, for producing this episode. He produced the idea. Let's be clear here. So, uh, big shout out to those guys. Big shout out to Strange Fellows. Of course, we're drinking blackmail. Uh, Libris Arcana for everything they've done for us so far. Uh, DMs of Vancouver for their great shout out on their latest episode which will not be their latest episode by the time you hear this and i don't have the episode number in front of me so big thanks to sean and jesse they're friends of the show and a big thanks to you weirdos for fucking making it this far i can't believe you made it to the end of this episode at all oh my god <laughs> this was hard for us too uh I had fun yeah i had a lot of fun with this i i like that it was a little bit freer and there, there wasn't a whole lot of format yeah but, uh, it's chill yeah. we're yeah. chill take it easy creatures um it, uh, hit us up at uh, Encounter Pod on Twitter and Encounter This Patreon.com backslash Encounter This for our Patreon if you want to throw your money away. Uh, we have three tiers up: uh, one dollar, five dollar, and ten dollar tier. And if you you feel like pissing away five dollars a month, we will happily happily accept it and give you a shout out on our next episode. Absolutely, sure, we'll promise that right here with with no <laughs> right, here, right now, <laughs> no no preconceived notions that may not last forever. But as usual, if we if we manage to drop the ball on that, just tweet at us or send us an email. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely send us an email. That's that's the way to go. That is info at encounterthis.ca. Care of Freeman Webster. 
No, Freeman, uh, Miriam, Miriam yeah. Ice Tundra. <laughs> of course, I'm Webster. <laughs> Bye. Uh, next creatures. Bye.